and everybody gets it back again. Don't take no mess off the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrabble it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I'm Sean Hyken, the author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you can subscribe to at rosegardenreport.com. Free and paid subscriptions are available. The podcast, as always, you can get on the Odyssey app because we're part of the Odyssey family. You can also find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube. We can grow the page that way. Uh, Another kind of Scoot-centric episode today. Nothing's really going on with the Dame stuff, so... Not really much to say there, but uh, I have on, you know, right after the draft, I had Mirren Fader on, who wrote a profile of Scoot during last season. Another one of the Scoot profiles that has come out is by one of my old buddies in the business, Robbie Calland, who is now a senior writer at Uproxx, but, you know, he and I kind of came up in the blog scene together about 10 years ago. Uh, known him for a long time, used to cover the Hawks, so, you know, big NBA guy, really good guy. But he wrote a profile of Scoot for Uproxx that went out the week before the draft. And it got into a lot of really interesting stuff that I kind of wanted to, now that we're kind of in the slow part of the offseason, I wanted to go a little further into. But uh, about just kind of the amount of work and the amount of people that have, like, made it, you know, have been working behind the scenes to make it so that Scoot is going to be successful in the NBA. Just getting into kind of a lot, a lot of the behind the scenes stuff and just sort of about like the scoots, like preparation and just kind of how abnormal it is that somebody is this, you know, focused on, you know, the long-term goals of, you know, NBA career at the age that he's at. We get into a lot of interesting stuff. And then Robbie and I also just kind of go off on some other stuff, like some, you know, we do talk a little bit about the Dame stuff, nothing you haven't heard before, because again, nothing has really happened with that, but it's a really fun conversation. Robbie's awesome. You should, you know, I'll put the link in the show notes for the story that he wrote about Scoot last month, so you can go read that, but, you know, go check out Robbie's stuff at Up Rocks, and, you know, as always, again, subscribe to the newsletter, subscribe to the podcast, all that kind of stuff, so let's get to that right now. Thanks for doing this, Robbie. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I guess where I want to start, the, I mean, I thought this story you wrote on Scoot that came out. I, th- I think you. W- w- well, first of all, when did when did you actually talk to him? When was when did you actually? I went. I was there March. It was the okay. end of. It was right after he got shut down by the Ignite uh, before the very end of their season. So he was still in Vegas. Uh, it was right after they ended the season. So we. It actually, we were supposed to run it the the day Slam ran theirs, which is why the Arts got pushed, it pushed back. back. Uh, but it ended up working out because we ran it uh, the week of the draft, which obviously is a is a good time to have that go up anyway. So um, yeah, that was so I went I went out there back in March. So that was before even before the lottery right. and everything. So there's obviously no conversation about uh, Charlotte, Portland, that sort of thing. It was a little bit of a different time. For you to, because I've had I've had Mirren Fader on here before, mm. and she obviously wrote about Scoot back in like November, December when he was first blowing up, like right after the Wemby uh, right. exhibition games, which were also in Vegas. But uh, that was kind of when the world was first finding out about him. I thought when when you got him, it was kind of an interesting time to get him because yeah. he's like you know they shut him down for the season, so his G League time is over. And now he's just like preparing for the draft process and Mm -hmm. just, you know, jumping to the NBA. And the thing that I thought was so interesting about what you wrote, and I'm glad that this was kind of the angle that you ended up hitting on and the theme that you kind of kept hammering during the whole thing is just how much work and how many people are invested in Scoot Henderson making it as an NBA star. Yeah, it was... It was an interesting time. And it was also like, it was that brief period right when the the Brandon Miller kind of hype train had just picked up because it was like right when the tournament had happened. So it was like 
it, it was an interesting time to talk to him because like and, and and we talked about it and it was in the story where it's like you know i was like look like how do you kind of put put all the noise like it's all stuff that you can't control like another guy rising and people talking you know questioning you and and all of this but yeah it was um you know i mean his one he has a, a huge family i mean i yeah. think he has seven siblings and so it's just like uh it was, it was interesting talk. and like it was kind of funny like i remember asking him uh you forget when you talk to scoot that he's 19 years old sometimes like because yeah. of the way he talks especially the way he talks about himself as a player like you kind of are like this is a, a five six year vet the way he kind of talks about the way he's figured out his body and figured out the way he goes about being a pro and i remember asking him you know i'm from atlanta so i always like to talk to atlanta guys about food and stuff like that mm-hmm. and i i asked him uh kind of like his favorite restaurant from atlanta i forgot he had left atlanta when he was 17 years old so like he you know of course he doesn't really have you know he goes back but he doesn't really have a favorite restaurant so he's like my favorite restaurant growing up was golden corral and i was like of course the family <laughs> with seven kids would go to golden corral that's where kids eat free you know like that's like of course that would be your favorite spot right to go right. like after practice and stuff he hasn't so been in like, atlanta as an adult right he doesn't picks i was like why why would he have a favorite restaurant it was one of those things where it's like you know because it's like a little bit into it and i kind of forget he's 19 um but yeah i mean he he has this support system around him that's kind of built in because of the family thing like uh his dad's been his trainer for his whole life his dad and his parents run a basketball gym so he's like he literally grew up in a gym you know for for his entire like high school career end of middle school he said that's kind of when he transitioned from kind of dabbling in both football and basketball to saying like basketball is going to be the sport so i'm going to work my body and, and and train to be a basketball player and then, you know, his, his sister does his styling and, and, you know, he's got all these people around him, but, but he does keep it pretty tight to the family. Um, and, and so it, it was interesting getting to know him because, you know, he, he seems like somebody that is very loyal once he lets people kind of in, but he can be a little, it, it seems like it maybe takes a minute for him to build that trust. But once he does, He's kind of all in. You, I could see that talking with the G League folks. Uh-huh. Like he clearly very much had put his trust in them. Uh, and I think building that rapport was the biggest thing to letting him take the the next steps he needed this, uh, this second season in the G League um, was kind of him putting his faith in uh, Jason Hart, who's the coach, and, and Pooh Jeter, who I think is an interesting kind of connect now. Well, now he works in the, the Blazers. Blazers front office. They hired him as, I believe his title is, I think he's like, it's like some hybrid job where like, mm-hmm. I think he's the assistant GM of the G League team, but then he's also, I think, going to be like a player development coach also. But they hired him... And obviously, like, you know, this is a whole other thing. I don't feel like relitigating, but, you know, there was all the talk before the draft of, you know, are they going to trade the pick? Are they going to, you know, get a guy more on Dame's timeline? They hired uh, Pooh Jetter like two weeks before the draft. And it was like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I talked to Pooh um, for the story and like he just raved about Scoot. So I'm not yeah. surprised that he would have probably been in there telling the guys like this kid is legit. <laughs> Like yeah. he was, he raved about him and, you know, it's kind of funny when you talk to um, Jason Hard and, and Pooh and those guys, it's like, they kind of like shrugged off my basketball questions. Like it was uh. kind of funny as they were just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's going to be fine. Like he has all of the athletic gifts in the world. He puts in the work, like nobody really needs to worry about his development. Like they're like, he's going to, take the steps and he's going to pop. And like, you know, I was like, you know, do you believe the shootings are going to come? And they're like, Oh yeah. Like he's going to figure it out. You know, like they have no concern about that. It was like the thing that we wanted to make sure was he was ready as like a leader and mm-hmm. as a, a player in terms of like, as a point guard, you have to be able to tell all of these guys who are five, 10, 15 years older than you, what to be doing. And like they needed to get him right for that, and they said like kind of his first year he was real quiet, um, and and they they all talked about how the biggest step he took in year two was just talking and being vocal and all those things that that you need to do as a point guard, especially if you're going to be a star. Um, and, and they said that was the biggest thing that they saw strides in was it, it went from a guy who was, you know, the classic, uh, you know let the work talk guy 
And now it's, you know, he'll actually, you know, he'll tell guys where they need to be and he'll address the team in the locker room. And I remember Pooh talking about, you know, he was like, at our end of season banquet, he grabbed the mic and like impromptu, like addressed everybody. And he's like, that would have never happened 12 months ago. And he's like, and that showed me everything I needed. And he was like, he's like, he graduated. He was like, for me, that was graduation for him. As soon as I saw that, I was good. You know, he was like, yeah. That's exactly what I was going to bring up because you have because the, the the part in their story where you talk about that because that's in the story mm-hmm. and you say uh, Jeter and Hart both said the challenge they laid out for Henderson this season was to run the franchise and to make himself locker room ready for the NBA. This is kind of what I was getting at earlier, where it's not just like yeah, his dad you know was mm-hmm. his trainer and he grew up you know with his family you know running a basketball gym and you know so he was around the game his whole life. But there was just so much invested, you know, both by his family and by the Ignite and whoever else. There's just been so much invested in, like, the behind the scenes of, it's not just like, oh, we need to make this guy as good of a basketball player as he can be. It's, we need to make him ready to be an NBA star. And in a way, like, it, it, it's laid out kind of in this in a way that I don't really see it laid out, you know, to the degree that it is. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think it's maybe something that's unique to the Ignite program is... And I think with Scoot in particular, they kind of knew like, all right, this guy is, uh, this guy's special. Like Jason Hart even told me for the story. I think I have it in there. He's like, I, I'm not going to coach another Scoot Henderson. He's like, I might not coach a guy as good as Scoot Henderson ever again. And so I think they as a program knew how important it was to have this guy for two years Who's was he the first to, one that they were doing for two years? Yeah, he was the first one they did two years. And I think they recognized after year one, they're like, and they see like, okay, he's the number two guy in this class. He would be number one in most any other class. They're like, we need to make sure that we are doing this right. Like, I think there was kind of an impetus from the inside to say like, this is going to be our best proof point. You know, we've yeah. had guys come through and they've gotten drafted high and they've been successful. You had Jalen Green, you had Dyson Daniels. You've had guys come through Kaminga. the program Kaminga, but like Kaminga didn't really pop in the G league. He actually kind of fell while he was with the ignite in terms of from where he was as a, as a high school prospect uh, to where he got drafted. And Jalen green was a, was a guy that, you know, his, obviously his talents were clear, but again, it was like, he's still pretty raw. And I think they saw an opportunity with scoot to say like, this guy can come in and be an immediate dude in the NBA. And we need to make sure he's ready for that. And I think there's there's some selfishness to that in a good way in the sense that the Ignite recognize like this is our best chance to have a proof point for every young star that wants to come out and wants to come through our program and say, look what we did for Scoot, not just as a basketball player in his skill development, but like this is what we can do for you that's different than a college program. Like this is what we can do to tell you like, you know, look, we can teach you how to run a team. We can give you the keys and we can teach you how to talk to guys who are veterans. You know, like you're going to have to lead the team that has a guy 15 years older than you, 20 years older than you. And you're going to learn how to do that, which you don't learn when you're playing necessarily with other 18, 19, 20 year olds. It's a little bit of a different experience. And I think that's the thing they're most proud of with Scoot. And I think that's one of the things kind of why they wanted to to hit on that with me was like, you know, it's not just look, he can continue developing on the basketball court and he gets a chance to run a pro offense, uh, which I do think is a, is a benefit of that. And I talked to him about that is like, he ran so much pick and roll that he had to get better. You know, like it's one of those things where it's like, you don't necessarily get that in, in college if you go to a place that doesn't run a pro style system. And so there are benefits there, but they, they really hammered like how much they invested in him off the court and just in terms of being a leader and being uh, that guy. And also takes a guy like Scoot who wants to do that. Um, and he is, you know, he is a guy who seeks out those opportunities to get better. And I think that's something that Blazers fans should be excited about is like he very much is a guy that wants you to be honest with him in terms of the coaching staff and the front office and everything about like, what can I do better? How do I do it better? He doesn't just want to be told, Oh, you're doing great. Like he wants the, the kind of nitpick stuff to say like, Hey man, we can do this better. And I think that's something the ignite we're able to do. We're like, okay, you played well your first year. 
now here's the next step. And he took it to heart. And, you know, he talks about he was in practice and his brother's like, what are you doing? And he's like, you know, calling out ghost screeners. He's calling out ghost defenders. He's like just talking constantly because that's what they told him to do. That's what hard and, and Pooh and those guys, they were like, you got to learn to just talk constantly on the court. Cause that's your job as a point guard. And he, it's something he had to work on and actually practice. And so he was like, I felt kind of insane at times. Cause I'm out here in an empty gym with my brother or my dad. And I'm like yelling and I'm talking and I'm doing all this stuff. But he's like, it's the only way I could, condition myself but like i don't know how many guys necessarily are willing to, to, to kind of do that at that age um and that was one of the things that stood out to me with scoot is like he really is willing to do kind of whatever he thinks it takes and whatever people he trusts tell him um to take those steps as a as a player yeah and i mean you 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 saw there was this uh, i don't know if you've watched this but there was a you, you know how, you know, when Mike Schmitz was at ESPN, he used to do those film sessions with yep. prospects. He did one with Scoot a year ago. This was before he took the Blazers mm-hmm. uh, assistant GM job. But there was this one, there was this part of it. I watched the whole thing after he got drafted, obviously, because I've been like watching and reading as sure. much Scoot stuff as I can since I'm going to be covering him now for right. the next however many years. But, uh, you know, they, when they started talking about his defense, which, you know, just because of his size, you know that that's going to be something that will probably be a, an issue at least early on in the NBA. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Schmitz was showing him clips of, you know, different defensive possessions, and Scoot was, like, stopping it and saying, hey, yeah, I blew that rotation. I should have been there. So it's like he's very willing to, you know, say, oh, I need to do this better. And he also, yeah. like he said, like I, I think in his opening press conference, he said something like, you know, Chauncey Billups is going to get annoyed with me by how many questions I ask him. And then Chauncey has talked about how he was really impressed that Scoot even like knew who he was because when Chauncey was on those Detroit teams and winning the title, Scoot was like three or four. Like there's no reason for (laughs) for Scoot to like know Chauncey's career. I know he was finals MVP and stuff, but like, it's not like he grew up watching those Detroit teams because he was literally like in preschool when those teams were happening. But Chauncey was like, no, he knew who I was. And he was asking me about my career and, you know, about like different, you know, different games in my career and stuff. And so mentality wise, and just, you know, I kind of, I have kind of, the guy I've kind of compared him to, and he is not nearly as outlandish, Mm. but he and Anthony Edwards kind of have similar energy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and it's kind of funny because, you know, the, (laughs) In hindsight now, it's very funny looking at what the knock on Anthony Edwards was coming in, which was like, does he care about basketball? (laughs) And it's like, and like, now we know, like, he's just like a sicko. And so it's like, that was never the knock on Scoot. Like everybody knew Scoot was a basketball sicko, but like, it it is funny. Like when I, when I talked with him, um, you know, it was like, you know, I tried to do a little small talk and it was like, it was very clear. That was not the way to get Scoot to open up. I was like, all right, like, let's get in the bag with like basketball questions and deep basketball questions. And he's just like, he'll he's just like, go. yes, he'll just go. Like I'm asking him about, you know, what'd you learn about running pick and roll? And, you know, he's talking about, you know, okay, I, I got to see when I should snake it and I got to see when I should pull up and I got to see when I should, you know, he talked about tempering his, you know, his, his speed, which, you know, as, as a, as a young guy where athleticism is his number one NBA trait right now. Right. Like the one thing we know about Scoot is he is a hyper athlete already elite in the NBA has that for him to already know, like, I've got to be able to change speeds to know I've got to know when to put it in second gear and when to go to fifth gear and all that. Like the fact that he knows that is it shows that he is already kind of taking those notes. But yeah, it was, it was one of those things where it's like he is he's going to do all that. Like, that's not just talk for a press conference of saying, like, I'm going to bug him. It's like. He really is going to be constantly asking those questions and he's going to want that. And it's funny because the guy who I have talked to, who is the most willing to talk about that and seeking out is Damian Lillard. Yeah. Like I, one of my favorite quotes I ever got was from Dame. When I asked him, I was like, look, like when you get to that all-star all NBA level, how do you continue to get better? And this was, Four years ago, I think it might have been 2020. It yeah. might have been like in the bubble. He was doing the Gatorade thing, right? And I or right after the bubble, and he said, "Every team's got a scouting report on me, and that scouting report has like three things on it. My goal every summer is to take something off the scouting report, 
it might be as minute as this. He can't hit a two dribble pull up going to his left. He's like, well, I'm going to hit two dribble pull ups going left until it's second nature. And it's like, I, I think Scoot has that same, like, kind of like sick, like, just determination to figure something out to add to his game. And obviously, right now, kind of the world's his oyster in that regard. Like, there's a lot of things he can continue to get better at. But I do feel like as he goes along, he will be a guy that is willing to try to kind of pick apart his own scouting report in a way that not every young star is willing to do and and willing to be not negative about his game, but honest about his game. You know, some guys don't necessarily want to hear the critiques. They don't, you know, they don't want to hear people saying like, you can't do this. And, and he's like, he's willing to say it. Like you said, like with the defense, he's like, I want to be an all defense guy. And that's probably not going to happen, but like, he brings up Drew Holiday multiple times. He does. He he he's like that's the he's like I'm big. I'm you know I'm not tall, but he's like I'm thick. I've got you know I'm strong. Like that's the guy I can watch to kind of say like what can I pull from his game. Now Drew is has like a preternatural ability on that end that I don't know is something you can just copy. But there are things you can copy with him. How does he navigate screens? How does he use his strength in the way that? you know, negate some of the height disadvantages he has. And he does that really well, usually when going up against bigger opponents, not necessarily Jimmy Butler, but like most of them. And so I, I think he knows kind of, and he's willing to say like, all right, these are the guys I can pull from, even if he doesn't like to say he patterns his game after anybody or doesn't like comparisons to anybody. He's like, I want to be Scoot, but he also knows that Scoot can pull things from other guys. But you, you going back to the athleticism stuff for a second, I love this line that you have where you say talking to Scoot about his workouts is like taking an undergrad course in kinesiology. And it's like you go on, you talk about like all of the different flexibility, you know, drills that he does and just, you know, trying to make himself like, like you talk about how he like stopped eating fried food and stopped drinking soda. Like even it wasn't even just like the G League, like they told him to do that. It was like years and years before that. And it's just it is just like because because, you know, you you look at you know, going into the, into the draft, like who are the guys that he gets compared to the most, as far as like, you know, the, the pro player comps, it's like Derek Rose, John Morant, uh, Russell Westbrook. Those guys have all had, you know, injury issues because of their burst and their athleticism. And so to me, I would look at like, you know, some of the stuff that you detail in here and say, they are so, and this is kind of what I was getting at earlier when I was talking about, there are so many people that are invested in the machine behind the scenes of making sure that he is successful is, like, I, I wonder if they've all, you know, once they kind of figured out that he was like this type of super athlete, they saw, you know, the way that Derrick Rose's career went, when, you know, mm-hmm. when he was maybe, maybe should have been a little bit more careful early on in his career about like landing after some of these dunks in a certain way. And now, you know, you have, a, you have 10, 15 years of data on that stuff. And now, you know, there's a whole team of people now that are like for this next generation who is, mm-hmm. you know, this kid Scoot this is what we really have to hone in on to make sure like, what if we took Derek Rose, but turned the injury sliders all the way down? Yeah. I mean, the, the, it was really interesting. Cause I mean, he's talking about, you know, he knows what muscle, you know, he has to work if he can't get his pinky toe to touch the ground. Right. Or something like that. Like he knows uh-huh. what he's got to work, what he's got to stretch, what he's got to strengthen all of that. And that, that's kind of where the kinesiology, you know, point came sure. from for me is I was like, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but this is fascinating. You know, it was like one of those things for me where I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Cause like, Let me learn I'm about it. it. I was like, I'm fascinated by this. Like keep talking about it. I'm going to keep prodding about it. But he was, you know, he, he does have that, you know, he, he does have a trainer that he just works with that is already there. I don't know. If, I, I assume he has somebody he consults for nutrition stuff uh, and, and will continue to do so. But like, it seems like it's, in part just kind of a family thing where they just, I assume they've stopped going to golden corral. Uh, and they, you know, he's just, he, he eats right. And he's cause I, yeah, I was like, yeah, man, you gotta go to Hattie B's next time you're in Atlanta. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, fried chicken's the best. He's like, Oh, I don't eat fried food. And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, dude, you're 19. Like it's okay that, you know, but it's like, whatever, like that's cool. Um, 
like good for you like you're gonna like, make millions you're gonna make millions and millions of dollars because of this <laughs> well but, but like, like going back to anthony edwards for a second like well, sure, what, it, was, like, it was a it was a storyline during this season that like cat was annoyed that anthony edwards eats so much popeyes and it's right. like okay <laughs> yeah it's like okay like so you don't have to worry about that with scoot uh he's not gonna be he's not gonna be hammering donuts or anything in portland like you're gonna be all right with that but yeah i mean it, he's he We'll see. And I also think the way he plays is a little different. Like he seems a little more discerning as to when, like, kind of like what I was saying is like, he seems a little more discerning about when to unleash his full, like athletic abilities um, in a way that, you know, prime Derek Rose wanted to bang on everybody. Yeah. Like he was going to go and he was going to try to dunk on everybody. And anytime he had the slightest of opening, he was going to go up and John Morant kind of in the same way, and I think, you know, people watch Scoot and they kind of expect him to do that because he he can. He can just take off from anywhere. But I think he's a little more discerning with it. Like, I mean, just watching him play in the G League, like he wasn't constantly trying to just, you know, throw down on guys. He wasn't constantly just throwing himself at the rim necessarily in the same way as Ja. And so I think that's also kind of in his corner um, with this. And and part of that is, I mean, he did he did have the concussion uh, this last year and he kind of dealt with that. And I think he, he had to kind of learn like, all right, like how do I make sure that I am taking care of myself, not just off the court in the way that I am, but also like maybe picking my spots and how do I still maximize my abilities uh, with also, you know, saying like, this is maybe not the time when there's two guys underneath the rim to try to go up when I'm not going to have a clear landing space, you know, stuff like that. And I think he's, He's pretty cognizant of that in a way that that a lot of those guys uh, who have that ability, because that's, you know, that's your meal ticket right there is being able to do that. I think he sees himself as not just that. And I think he that's kind of why he scoffs at those comparisons a little bit. Like he doesn't really love being talked about like Jaw and Russ and, and Derek Rose. And I think part of it is he doesn't like being pigeonholed as the hyper athletic dude. Um, and so I think he kind of wants to show that he's more skilled. And I think that'll benefit him in, in that regard as well, just from a, he's not going to try to be that all the time. What do you think about his shot as someone who's watched a lot of him? I think it's, it's, it's going to get better. I don't think he's ever going to be like a marksman, but he's also not the guy that has to be a 38% guy. Um, if he can be that 34, 35% shooter, from three that's enough to draw defenders up that's enough to to sometimes force guys to go over screens that's enough to kind of punish teams from from playing deep drop he's very comfortable with the pull-up mid-range game so i think he's already got a little bit of that and like he's a he's a solid free throw guy so it's one of those things where you look at the percentages and you say like the three-point shot should be able to go up and you know i mean i'm not a shot mechanics guy but like nothing seems broken or real funky or out of whack it just seems like he's not a guy he's just kind of got to maybe work on some footwork stuff and getting better balance and so the i think something that happens a lot and this is something that russ has always dealt with is when you are a high leaper um if you if you do jump a good bit getting that consistent release point on your jumper is tougher because there's more variance in where you let it go when you jump higher. It's always been a rust thing. You know, he gets super streaky and like when he's just feeling it, but like, I think his, his release points different because of how high he jumps. And I think scoot, he doesn't jump as high. He's not a rust jumper on his jump shot, but I think just because he does have to get a little elevation to get it off. um, I, I think there's some footwork and consistency stuff that he's got to get for the balance and for the release point to be in the same spot. Because again, the shot never doesn't look like it's broken. It doesn't look, you know, this isn't a Michael Kidd Gilchrist situation where you look at and you go, Oh, that dude's never going to shoot. You look at it and you go like, that looks like it should go in more than it does. And I I think that just comes with some work uh, and continued, you know, figuring out the balance and and some of that. Cause, um, you know, he was, he was better last year than he was this year. And, and, you know, he didn't shoot a ton. So like some of it's smaller sample size in the G league, um, a few cold nights can, can really knock you when you only play what 30 games or whatever, 34 games. Um, 
So, you know, we'll, we'll see where that goes. I think he can get into that mid thirties range pretty comfortably. Like I don't ever see him being just an absolute dead eye knockdown guy. Obviously maybe I could be wrong. Um, but I do think it's just going to come with figuring out some of that footwork and figuring out some of that release point stuff to just get it a little more consistent. Cause that's the hallmark of great shooters is every time they let it go, it's coming out of the same position from the same height from everything. Like I covered Kyle Corver for years and like the one thing he always talked about was like his elbow position and his footwork. And he know if he has those two things, right. It doesn't matter if he's running off a screen, whatever, if he's got himself square and he's got his feet where they need to be the right width. Like he knows it's coming off the exact same every time. And that's, that's the step that's the hardest to do. But again, like scoots, the kind of guy that'll drill it. I think enough to, to take that step. It just might take a couple of years. I'm so interested in how the leadership part of it is going to work, you know, at least right away in the NBA, because you look at their, you know, you look at the Blazers and, you know, for the sake of argument, let's say that sometime between now and training camp, Dame is traded. He mm-hmm. has not been traded right now. We're recording this on July 26th. As of right now, he, he is still on the roster. There are not any kind of real talks with mm. Miami or anybody else about him being traded. But in the event that he were to be, Nurk is 28, Jeremy Grant is 29. Mm. Other than that, it's all kids. So yeah. there really is going to be a, a void for somebody. If Dame is gone, there's going to be an opportunity, a void for somebody to step into. And from everything you're saying about how he was able to kind of build you know that type of gravitas with you know guys who are way older than him like Pooh Jetter and Amir Johnson like mm-hmm. he'll be able to do that but it's it's also like a lot of these guys that are on the because as of right now the roster is pretty much exactly the same except for him and the other two rookies yep. like how guys who have been used to Dame for however many years they've been especially guys like Nurk and Simons who have been here forever mm-hmm suddenly now you're replacing Dane with this 19 year old kid who's suddenly like the vocal leader in the locker room and telling Mm -hmm. guys what to do. Like, I'm very interested in how that's going to go over. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that when I talked to, to Jason Hart about it, the thing that he said was what won over his teammates the most was the way he played. Um, and the way that he always was trying to keep everybody involved and kind of, you know, he said like scoop could have big timed it around there like he was the prospect he was the guy but he always you know he went out to dinner with the team every night on the road like he wasn't just like going off to do his own thing because he was the guy and so I think he will build that rapport quickly with those guys and build that trust on the court quickly um, that he is going to you know, he's still working on some of that feel as the on-ball point guard. That was something that was the that was the main thing on the court they were working on was like he was off ball a lot his first year. Um, and they were like, here's everything like you go run the show. Um, and it took him some time to kind of get the feel for when to go for himself and when to kind of find other guys and when to keep and how to kind of keep everybody happy, because that's another thing that as a young point guard it's hard to get that feel. It's hard to, to find that balance, that, that kind of crisp Paulness, if you will, of like, all right, the big fella hasn't seen the rock in six possessions. Like we better, we better get him something or else we're going to lose him. You know, it's, it's one of those things where it is a very difficult thing. Um, but it's something he's worked on. And he talked about kind of working on is getting that feel for, you know, keeping everybody involved. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing is like, if he can do that, if he can show like, I'm not just going to be out here gunning for 30 a night or something like that on, you know, semi inefficiency and and kind of ignoring the other guys. Like if you do it on the court, if you keep everybody involved, if you seem like you're looking out for everybody, it's, it's kind of easy for guys to fall in line behind that. Um, and then on top of that, the work ethic is, is pretty unquestioned. So they're not, it's not going to be, you know, a guy who's, and he talked about this. He said like, look, like if I'm going to get onto a guy about a blown assignment on defense, I can't be blowing those myself. Or I at least have to call myself out when I see it, you know, that, and, and that to me was a big thing when we talked about defenses, he's like, look, like if I'm going to hold guys accountable, if we're going to talk about rotations and I'm going to say like, you needed to be here. He's like, 
you can't do that and have guys respond to you if you're the one out there blowing assignments and all you're doing is getting on to everybody else. And so I think as long as he continues to do that, as long as he's willing to like put in that earnest work and from everything, it sounds like he does, you know, obviously there's a lot of reason for everybody to talk positively about scoot. When I come in to do a a cover story, like there's obviously everybody wants to do well, but it certainly seemed honest. And it certainly seemed like earnestly, what people were talking about was being very impressed by the humility uh, that he showed in the locker room. And that goes a long way to earning that trust with guys. As you know, I mean, like it's, it's one thing to come in and if you're blasting guys, but you're not taking any heat yourself, they'll tune you out real quick. And like, we've all seen it in NBA locker rooms where that's happened. But when the guy is willing to kind of take the heat himself and, and also kind of try to lift guys up and, and find that balance and I, I think Scoot, it'll probably take some time to build that rapport with everybody, especially, like you said, the guys who have been there for a while, who are used to Dame. It's going to take some time to build it with Nurk. It's going to take some time to build it with Simons, uh, especially because with Simons, there's going to be a, maybe a little natural friction of who's the guy, right? right. Like there's just, you're the two backcourt guys. You're the, t- you know... Scoot is now being talked at, about as the face of the franchise if Dame leaves. And Simons is like, hey, I'm the one on a $100 million deal. Who's like, also I think, been here for six who's been years here now and, and he, was like Dame's protege like early on. Right. And so it's like, it would be understandable. But I also think, I, I would like to think Scoot's kind of smart enough to know, like talk about it as a, as a 1A, 1B thing or like a split dude, like don't come in trying to or necessarily say- or just defer, and he might do that and like see how it goes. And, and, and I think he'll be smart enough to kind of feel his way around. I don't think he's, you know, he's vocal now, but I don't think he's a guy who's going to come in and demand to be the guy in terms of the one who's talking all the time. I just think he's willing to step into voids for that necess- right now. Um, and so, you know, I think as long as he's not trying to step on Ant's toes, and I think that's the one that is maybe the, the most delicate relationship to build and will be the most interesting one to follow this season. But you can also see how those two guys can help each other a ton, right? Like Scoot's ability to pressure the rim is going to help Ant get more looks. Ant's ability to knock down shots is going to help Scoot get to the rim. They should work in symbiosis. Like that is a very nice guard combo offensively. Defensively, they're going to have to figure it out. But you can see how this can all work as long as they're willing to kind of see how it can benefit each other, I think this can work very well. And, you know, I mean, from, from what I've seen, like ant seems like the type of guy who would understand that as well. Um, I mean, he's played with Dame for long enough to know how playing with another really good guard can help him. Right. Like he's, he's the type of guy that if anybody knows what that can do for you, it's probably that guy. And then what if Dame isn't traded right away? Like, what if they go What if they go into the season? <laughs> and again, it's late July right now. There's a lot of time between now and October. I have no new information about any talks that sure. have or haven't happened. What if they take it into the season? How is that going to work? <laughs> I mean, for Scoot, I think, would love to pick Dame's brain. I, he has said he the would. perspective of everything we talked about earlier, where he's a guy that wants to do that. He's done that with Dane before. If you read, if you read Mirren's story, which I had mm-hmm. her on a couple, like like a month ago, like right after the draft. Yeah, he, she she was talking about how like right when she had interviewed him for that story back in like December, he yeah. had sent Dame a DM on Instagram asking him just like for some you know hey like how how do I hit this kind of shot or like he was asking mm-hmm. for like some basketball advice. And Dame responded, and he was, like, showing Mirren his fo- his phone, like, I can't believe Dame responded to me. Like, he was, like, he was just, like, super pumped about it. And, like, yeah. and so they actually, like, have a good relationship personally, which is why I always laugh at the – I don't, I don't want to get down a rabbit hole of, like, sure. litigating the way that, like, the Dame trade request is talked about because, like, you know, that's all just whatever. But, like, this idea of, like, you know, Scoot Henderson is watching how the Blazers treat Dame. And if they don't send him where he wants to go, then he's going to take notice of that. I don't think Scoot is going to think, man, I have to play with Damian Lillard, who has been one of my idols. Like, this really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, like from Scoot's perspective, he would be all for that. That would come down to how 
willing Dame is. But like, here's the thing: is like you've talked to Dame way more than I have, but uh-huh. I, I, I for whatever reason end up with seemingly a conversation with Dame every year via some brand thing. Yeah, and so I had one a month ago or whatever, two months ago, which was interesting. Like right uh, before the trade request. Cause there, there was, there was that, there was that week where he was doing the Medello stuff. Medello thing. Yeah. So that, that was like a week before the trade request. So yeah, it was pretty fun. It was right before the draft. I think it was okay. like literally, yeah, it was the week before, I think it was the Thursday before the draft. I ran it on like Monday or Tuesday, uh-huh. um, which was an interesting time to talk to him. Uh, yeah. But like, even I was like, I can't believe he's doing this. Like, I know so many guys that have canceled when stuff like this pops up. So, like, you know, on those, like, brand things. Well, he like hasn't those... done anything since No, since he requested. Like, he wasn't at Summer League. Even no. he, It wasn't even like he was there but not doing interviews. He was out of the country. He was gone. He hasn't done any kind of interviews since yeah. any of this went down. Like, you you know, you hear leaks through, through whoever sure. that are clearly coming from Aaron Goodwin or whatever. But right. he himself has said nothing publicly. Yeah, and so it was just it was an interesting time to talk to him. But I think the thing we know about Dame, and this is has always been my thing about why I think there should be other teams that are inquiring about him, is like he falls in the KD line for me yes. of like he loves to play basketball, and if that dude is on the team, he's going to show up, even if he's kind of grumpy about it. Even like, if he's still here, he's not going to hold out. I've been saying right. that the he's whole not going. Yeah, he's not going. If he's in Portland, he's not going to hold out. If he gets traded to whomever other than Miami, I don't think he holds out. Like he might be kind of grumpy about it, but also like if Grumpy Dame's dropping twenty nine a night, I don't think anybody's going to care because like he's not just going to. He's not going to half ass it on the court. Like that's just not how he's wired. You know, you, there's some guys you worry about that with. Like, do you want to take James Harden into camp? No. Good luck, Philly. You know, like we know he is a professional at this. He knows how to do this. I don't think Dame's built like that to do it. So I think if Dame shows up, he will do his thing. I don't know if he'll be super available all the time, but when they're in practice together, sure. You know, like I don't think Dame's going to be like take having Scoot come over for dinner necessarily if he's still in town and like doing things that aren't on company time. Like I think... He's not going to be going the extra mile if he's there. But, like, if he's in the building and he's at practice and Scoot asks him something, he'll probably tell him and he'll show him and he'll do that. And, like, that's just how Dame is. Um, and so, like, yeah, I'm with you on the the kind of, like, idea that he'll check out completely. I don't I don't buy it. Like, I get why, he, why his side is trying to sell that because right. they have an objective – but, like, that's a bluff I'm kind of willing to call. But as far as, like, let's say opening night of the season rolls around and they are both on the team. <laughs> how, how do you see that working fit-wise? I mean, I would imagine Scoot would be coming off the bench. I would right? think so, too. Yeah. I would, I would, ima- I would imagine it's Dame and Ant and as the, your backcourt. And you, those three you can't run together as, like, a three-guard lineup that I can see and have that function defensively in any right. way, shape, or form. Like, that's three small guards. They tried that with Norm Powell back a couple of years but, uh, ago. Yeah, it but, like, go well. <laughs> even, even Norm's 6'4". With CJ and Norm Powell, yeah. Yeah, because like, what, Norm's 6'4", or whatever, yeah. at least? Like, Scoot's not 6'4". I've stood next to Scoot. He's, his hair is 6'4", but he's not. Right. Uh, he does have long arms. So I'll give him that. But, you yeah. know, like, he can maybe guard twos, but, like, don't want him on the wing. Uh, and you don't want Ant guarding wings. And and then yeah, where does Shaden fit in all of this? Yeah, I mean, I, it's, a, it's a weird thing to, to kind of figure out exactly how all that would work. But I would think they would probably run the hyper-athletic bench lineup of Scoot and Shaden and you yeah. just are like, go be fast, you know, you just like go do cool stuff on the fast break. And like, we'll figure it out later uh, with some of the half court stuff and how the spacing works. Cause obviously that's your concern. If you're running a backcourt of Shaden and Scoot is like paint gets a little bit jammed up. But um, if you can throw, if you threw them out there with some floor spacing bigs, you could make some stuff work. Uh, but yeah, I mean like, I think there's a lot of things that they've got to figure out on that end. But I also think no matter what happens, I think the first, I really think all season, 
but especially the first couple months is going to be a lot of experiments Mm -hmm. from Chauncey Billups in terms of lineups and combinations and like who you see for three games here is not going to be who you see for three games here because they're going to be figuring out who is the best together and they're going to be figuring out, okay, if we're going up against, they're going to want to see these guys playing together against different types of matchups. I think that's the other thing. You know, that's one of the things that, that when we talk about how lineups fit, it also matters who you're playing, right? It matters who the personnel on the other side is. You can get away with a three-guard lineup against another team that maybe runs a three-guard lineup. You can't get away with a three-guard lineup against the Clippers because they right. don't have a guard anyway. Like, they're running all wings anyway. You're going to get cooked. So it's like, where are you going to deploy different lineups? Who is it going to work against? Who is it not going to work against? They're just going to be throwing stuff at the wall for a while, I think. And it's going to be fascinating to watch. I think as a, as a fan, like you're going to be kind of, you're going to be kept on your toes, I think a little bit, uh, because I think starting lineups are going to change. I think rotations are going to be very different from night to night as they're just going to kind of figure things out. So if Dame's on the roster, I don't think it changes much in terms of how they approach it. It just means Scoot's not in the starting lineup. It's going to be so like, I'm just honestly like whichever way this goes, like if Dame is traded, I'm pretty excited about covering a 27 win team with Scoot and shade and just unleashed with no expectations. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, that's the thing is like, it's kind of, you know, I I feel pretty confident at some point the trade's going to happen to like at some point they're going to get it done. But yeah, I mean, it could be maybe, that they are like, look, man, like, can we do this KD style yeah. where we get to the trade deadline? That's where I lean at this point. Like, it's w- let's see if another team just realizes, hey, we need a Tyler Hero. You know, like maybe let Tyler or another Hero- team says, hey, let's go get Dame, or let's go get Dame. Obviously, but you, I think <laughs> maybe if you're selling this to Dame, right, you are selling it as let's see if maybe Tyler can boost his stock some. Because that's the thing that is the hardest about this right now is we just watched Jordan Poole get salary dumped on basically the same deal. Yeah. And they are comparable players. I think Heroes maybe a little more accomplished. You're gonna get you're gonna get aggregated saying that and you're gonna have heat fans in your mentions. I'm just warning you right well, now. Well, that's fine. But like what I'm saying is I just think from a national overview, that's how people sure. kind of view it. And I think Anthony Simons is kind of viewed in the same sure. tier of it's in like it's like it's like guys from like those same two years of draft classes on mm-hmm. like the same relative type very, of contracts. Very offensive leaning yeah. guys, uh, shooter scorer, you know. And it and Hero had a had a good year last year, but there's just a thing that happens. Like if a team makes the finals without you, there's going to be people questioning like what value is your role to a winning team necessarily like you had a good year when they were the eight seed then they make the finals while you're not on the floor fair or not that that's just a conversation that happens and it just dings his stock even more because it seems like well i mean like if they didn't really need him like what is his impact on winning necessarily which is kind of funny because they needed him to make the finals two years ago or three years ago or whatever like he was very integral in that um but people kind of view that as the bubble thing and you know, every there, everybody has questions about that entire year. So it's, it's interesting to me. I think if you're selling it to Dame, you're selling it as let's see if maybe somebody decides heroes, the guy that they should go after and give up a pick or two here to facilitate this thing. Because clearly right now there's not a team out there. We just saw the Spurs eat up their cap space and they were kind of the last bastion of hope there um, in terms of teams that had an obvious ability to just kind of take him Do on. That, yeah. And so it's, you know, if you're selling it, that's, I think, what you're selling. Uh, And if Dame is there for the day one of the season, like, he's probably there until January, right? Like, those kinds of deals don't don't tend to happen. But that does open up some more guys that are available to be traded because December 31st or whatever. December 15th is the the date for all that. So it's like, maybe this drags on. And again, we have the precedent for it with the KD thing where – they kept it real quiet that they were going to maybe trade him. Like we didn't have anything, any chatter about that until 
maybe when Kyrie got traded, there was like, well, maybe they'll trade Kevin. Well, but that was because KD was actually going to be happy to stay there until Kyrie was incapable right. of acting normal for two months and blew the whole uh, thing up. Well, Which, I mean, that, that'll happen with... <laughs> Who, who among us who could have ever seen that, that who could have ever seen that coming yeah so like but i'm sure there was a conversation of like look like if if this isn't working out we'll move you but like we can't get anything for, we can't get the best for you right, right now and uh they might do that and, and sometimes and that's look i mean we know we know how deadlines create action and we know how a season and a season like last year was kind of perfect for it and i think there's maybe hope that this season can be a little somewhere, especially in the East where like, there's going to be a team that's like, Hey, maybe we can make a run at this thing. You know, like there's going to be a team who looks at the East and says, we can get the three seed here, you know, especially if Harden gets moved, like there's going to, you know, there's going to be opportunity there to say, Hey man, like, why don't we go do this thing? Why don't we make a run at it? And I think that's your hope right now. If you're Portland is like, you can kind of talk Dame into that being your outcome. Cause that's, I don't see another team coming before camp with the best offer. I you know, I don't, I don't see another team saying on October 1st, you know what, actually we should go after, you know, like I think it is, Hey, we're having maybe a surprisingly good year. Maybe we can sell Dame on us having a chance, you know? And like, I think that's your hope. Um, and if that happens, that would be, it'd be really interesting to see what, how they kind of handle it in Portland in terms of, again, the rotation and how much they're still yeah. leaning on Dame. Cause like, obviously last year he was everything. And like, are they still trying to do that? If they're still shifting and thinking future, like, are they still saying like, okay, like we're just going to run our same stuff and do our same thing and, you know, ask Dame to do it all. Or are we going to maybe try to, pull some of the reins out of his hands just a touch. Um, and that's that's a fascinating possibility. Um, but obviously we are two months, three months away from two figuring out that's a possibility. Yeah. This how good, how good do you – yeah, it's, I'm over. How, <laughs> like we're, we're, at, we're, at the, we're at the point now where it's, so like, where it's like – I mean, dude, dude, it's not even August yet. We're at, the, we're at the point now where like the team sent out their uh, – season ticket holder like you know advertising a couple days ago and like there was like a couple of different graphics and one of them didn't have dame on it and people were like reading a lot into that but then you know on the other side a couple days ago he posted an instagram story where his son was sitting next to him who's like five or six years old on an airplane and his son was wearing a blazers hat so it's like what is that like we're already at the point it's not even august yet and we're already at the point Absolute where like silly season. we're like going over like guys social media stuff and trying to find like hidden meanings and oh, stuff and, it's just, and i'm just like i'm i like i haven't written about this in like two weeks i think the last time i actually wrote about like the whole dame situation was after joe's press conference out in right. vegas because that was the last actual thing that happened i'm doing That's a last new thing you yeah know? that was the last thing everything else has been like you know there's you know every every few days there's like there's a day where like the miami you know spin on it is like the dominant thing in the news cycle and then there's a day where like the portland spin on it is like the dominant thing like, and they kind of just like take turns but nothing new is actually happening no. from any side i actually like i'm doing a mailbag next week on my site when i sent out the thing to subscribers saying you know hey i'm taking mailbag questions i actually said in the in the email like can you ask me about stuff besides this? Because there's absolutely nothing new to say, and I don't really want to re like litigate hypothetical trade packages that may or may not be on the table. But it's like Dude, I'm in the mud. I, I'm doing these like off season report cards right now because I'm so bored. But like, yeah, I did Miami's, and I was like, I don't know, incomplete for trades because like Portland incomplete. Hey so guys, you see what they get back. <laughs> hey guys, you and, I mean, you and I have been maybe you, you've heard about you know you know how it goes. Oh right? yeah, you and I have been in the content trenches for how many years now? <laughs> decade plus and so it's you know it's one of the, it's fun you know it's it's funny because we're just you know we're sitting here trying to figure out what to do but it was funny because like i went through because i did like the southeast division today basically and i was like i got to the wizards and i was like oh man i kind of forgot how much stuff the wizards have done um <laughs> you know it's like it's that's why i'm doing it is it kind of refreshes me because like the reset one, it's just yeah it's just kind of like one of those things that allows me to kind of look back and just reread basically everything everyone's done and get a reset on all the rosters and where everybody's at and like 
I do a lot of these exercises for me and also because it's like posts to get up. It's easy content um, too. People are going to click. People are always going to click on that stuff to be like, hey, what what did this guy give my team? Oh, he didn't give my team a high enough grade. This guy's an idiot. Let me go bother him on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, which is fine. Yeah. That's what, what I signed up for. This but, is not the worst month in the world for Elon to make that site completely unusable because I like don't look at my mentions at all anymore. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. I don't hear too much. Like, people don't yell at me too terribly much. I got to do power rankings next year, though, so I'm not looking forward to it. That's not, yeah, that's... So always a joy. So one more Scoot thing, and it's something I've been thinking about really since he was drafted. I think there's a real chance that he can be, if he really hits, if he is as good as everybody says he's going to be, he could be the next American, you know, guy. Because if you look at, like, who are all, like, the big, you know, up-and-coming stars that are, like, super hyped up right now? Wemby, not American. Luka, not American. Like, the guys that are entrenched are Giannis, mm-hmm. Jokic, Embiid, not American. Zion was supposed to be that guy, but he hasn't been able to be healthy consistently. Yeah. Jaw was that guy for a while, but he's obviously got his own issues going on right now. Mm-hmm. I think Anthony Edwards is the other guy. Ant's the, like, guy. the guy. The guy. Which, like, I think is fairly clear by the fact that he's the centerpiece of this Team USA team going right. to the World Cup. and. But yeah, I mean, look like like Scoot's Scoot's high end is is that you know, and he's got and the personality. He certainly does have the personality. It's kind of funny because he went dark for a lot of the season. Like he mm-hmm. did the Mirren thing, and then when we when I talked to him, I was the first one to talk to him. Like bef- like of all of these things that have come out in the last, you know, like, and I get it. They were loading it up for the draft season, um, but yeah, it was it was kind of interesting because like as as a writer, it was nice because it was like. I felt like there was a lot of like, ground I could cover that I at least I wasn't asking him about stuff he'd said elsewhere. You right. know, that's the worst thing that to have to go do is feel like he said everything and try to get him to extrapolate on it. And so I, I think that's the high end outcome. And that's obviously what makes him so exciting as, as a prospect and, and as a, as a, for Blazers fans is to think like this could be, that next guy. Um, and, you know, I mean, we're going to see who comes down the road. I mean, there's obviously the, the boozer children are very good. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a prospect guy. So, uh, but like, I think that kid Cooper is a flag. I've been hearing a lot about. He's tall. Uh, he's very good. That's all. It's all about all I got on him. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's it's hard it's so hard to project those things because again like nobody was a John Morant's going to be the next American star when he was coming out of the draft you know we thought he was going to be maybe a nice player but we also thought there was a pretty sizable gap between Zion and him I think was was pretty much the consensus there so it's going to be interesting to see what Scoot can do and I think a lot of it's dependent on you know to be the next star it's dependent on being on a good team you know, that, that is part of it. That's going to be the uphill climb for Anthony Edwards. Um, that's why John Morant is on that list now is because, like, obviously he's putting up numbers, but he's the one of those guys on the best team right now. Like, the Grizzlies have been top three seed back-to-back years. And, like, unless you're in the playoffs constantly, you can't really be the guy that people are talking about. Um, and you can't really be the guy that that everybody's saying, like, he's kind of carrying the flag. And so that's going to be the interesting thing uh, from a team building perspective is like there's some onus on the Blazers to to make it happen to allow Scoot to be as big as he could be because again like he's got the personality and he could have the game uh, again like he's there's a rawness to his game that is you can see some of the refinement in certain areas and you can see where it's going but you know as we talked about the shooting is going to be the biggest thing that unlocks so much more um and the defense is going to be a thing but then again like how many like there's plenty of stars that don't play a lot of defense like if he can be functional on that just putting an effort on that end at at, at his size that's all you can like right you're never going to be Kawhi Leonard when you're six foot two but like no just he's also like he's not being just just not being Trey Young like that that's like the the bar Yes, I listen. I'm an, I'm an Atlanta person. I don't. I'm not going to get yelled at again for this. I do Brad Rollins podcast too much. To, <laughs> Shout out to, to Brad, the God. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I'm with you. Like I think it's it's 
it's a chance that he has. Um, he has that kind of upside, and I, it's he's an exciting guy to, to be ready to watch his career grow. Um, because I think the thing that's nice is like the median outcome is a good starter in the NBA, right? Like the median level outcome for Scoot Henderson is the 15th best point guard in the NBA, which is like, it's not bad. Like for like, like, who is that right now? Ooh, that's a good question. I always compare it to like, so like De'Aaron Fox before the Kings like broke out. Yeah. Like I think you're talking about, um, that's actually a really good question. I'm trying to think of who is the median point guard right now in the NBA. We're part of it is we have a lot of really good point guards right oh, now in the NBA. So like 15, 15th best point guard in the NBA right now is still going to be really good. Um, is that, Ooh, this is, this is good. Podcasting is people thinking is always what people <laughs> like on podcasts. Uh, I'm just like running through names in my head, right? Mike Conley is the one that sticks out as like the super media is like, yeah, at this point ago. in his career. Yeah. Uh, I think well, ja- the- let's say jazz Mike Conley yeah. is like your, your media. And obviously like scoots more athletic than that, but I'm yeah. just talking about from a production standpoint. Like I think guy who is a fringe all-star every year, um, and like on that, in that conversation, I think maybe of the young guys and like, obviously he had an all-star season. He was great, but I think maybe Tyrese Halberton right now is in that like 10 to 15 range sure. just because there's, I mean, again, there's so many dudes. Cause obviously you've got your guys like Steph and those guys. And then you have Shea who's like all NBA level player right now. Is Luca a point guard? Do you count him as that? Like what's his position? Jalen Brunson is like a top 10 guy now. Like, I think you're probably talking about that kind of range is like median outcome is, is probably a guy who's challenging for all-star teams, depending on what the, the West looks like. That's pretty good. You know, that's what you want out of a number two guy. The high end is like you said, is like the best American player in the NBA. That would be great. That's a top 10 guy in the NBA. That would be fantastic. That's basically, basically you're talking about his high end is you replaced Damian Lillard. Like, congratulations, you did it, which is pretty much what you would be hoping for here. Um, and yeah, so like it's, I'm fascinated to see how he goes because again, I think he does have a pretty wide range of outcomes, but I think even the most likely ones are still very good. Even if he doesn't top out at the 99th percentile. Well, this piece that you wrote is really interesting. I'll link to it in the show notes and stuff and Thanks, on the site or whatever, but everybody should go check that out. What else do you have coming up on, on Uproxx? Anything big? Ooh, right now it's right now it's pretty slow. Uh I'll be honest. Uh we're you know, we'll be we'll be moving some stuff up. I think we've got a W I, I can't I don't know if I can say it. I don't want Martin to get mad at me. I think there's a W Hi, cover Martin. coming. Hey Martin. Uh there's a W cover coming out. I didn't write it, but we have a W cover coming out sometime soon i assume like leading into w playoffs if i were guessing august something like that uh so we do have a w cover coming out which is is exciting it's our second one we did a uh arike one a couple years ago and now we've got this one um and then yeah i'm doing these off-season report cards so i'll have one on the blazers at some point and it'll be an incomplete for trades <laughs> unless, uh, unless something happens in the next week unless something happens so i don't think is going to happen but no, that seems unlikely it's uh so yeah that's that's mostly what i'm doing then i'll kind of shift a little bit into nfl mode for a little bit right. but always keeping an eye on the association uh but yeah man it's uh it's off season time it's time to kind of take stock of the league this is uh I'm looking forward to September, October when we can start really doing preview stuff yeah. and hopefully have some clarity. Cause I was, I was talking with, you know, uh, my colleague Bill the other day, I think it was right after summer league. And I was like, I don't really know what to do. Cause like I, we got two big trades just kind of hanging out there. And it's like, how do we write preview stuff when four to six teams are probably going to be involved in this stuff? And that's, 25% of the league right there. Like that's, that's a sizable chunk that you can't really write about definitively. So I, I'm just looking forward to some resolution, whether that is guys being in camp or guys being traded and, and us being kind of done. And I'm sure you and Blazers fans are all just kind of ready for the uh, will he, won't he, what's happening in, you know, confusion to be done. Cause I, 
I, I can't imagine. I, I never really went through that when I did Hawk stuff because the Hawks never had that. Uh, we never, you know, we had Josh Smith was on the trade block every year, but, like, but he also, wasn't, he wasn't like, he also wasn't the guy. And also like, we all kind of knew he wasn't getting traded. Um, at least internally, like there were rumblings, but we knew that the Hawks price was way higher than anybody else's on Josh. And so it was one of those things where it's like, I never dealt with that. And so like, I just can't imagine, like, cause every day. And then like, you also know that like, us idiots in the national media have to fill our time. So we're talking about everything and anything and like every little rumble real or not that, you know, we all know is coming from one place or the other. We, we end up all having to talk about. And it's like, again, I'm this, sure podcast the same thing gonna, this, this podcast, y- you and I are going to, it's going to, it's going to happen. I'm just warning you right now. You're going to get clipped talking about how they should sell it to Dame. And that's going to get circulated by, you know, on, you know, around like Miami media talking about like, Oh, they're going to, they, they're doing Dame dirty. They need to do right. But like that's, that's going to be a thing. I, I don't look at that stuff. I have some of it, some of, some of it is sent to me. So I see some of it, but I kind of like, hope so. They are that it, it's, it's, well, they're it's, also in purgatory too. Like, no, I, I get it. Like, I totally I get, get it. it. On, I get it on both sides. Like I get, like they want it to be done because the thing is, the terrifying thing from the Heapers, I wrote this in my thing, is like, if they don't get Dane, it's kind of a disaster. Because, like, there's not, you don't have a replacement for the two guys you lost, really. Like, Josh Richardson is, is, a, sol- is a good pickup on the vet minimum. Like, that's a legit good vet min signing. Sure. But, like, you didn't replace either of the guys you lost in Vincent and Struess. And, like, you're pretty much banking on adding Dame, which I have to say, Dame, Jimmy, and Bam is kind of the ideal three-piece, like, tiered uh, combination if you're talking about guard, wing, big. Like, it is, yeah. They fit so perfectly. I get why Dame wants to be there. I also get why the Blazers are like, we're not just going to toss him to you uh, because he says he wants him wants to be there. Like, I, I get every side of this. I understand, and I also understand, like – the neurotic nature of everybody right now. Cause it is very stressful. Like it's stressful for Portland fans to be like, to feel like people want to trade the best player in franchise history for nothing, you know, or like very little, you know, feel like you're trading him for pennies on the dollar or close to the best player in franchise history. I don't want to, don't, get mad at me if that part's if, not gonna that part's not gonna get aggregated as long like, as no, nobody that, gets like blazer fan don't get mad at me if it's a bill walton hive in here or something like that whatever. part nobody's really gonna have an issue with it's anyway the, but yeah i mean like i get and i get why miami fans are basically saying give him to me because the alternative is very bad for them uh it's a step back from a team that was already eight seed like it's not great so i get why everybody's like this i also just wish you would kind of be over too but here we are yeah i hear you well thanks for doing this man this is a lot of fun a pleasure anytime uh always again like i think i you know i spent a couple hours with scoot so it's not like i know him deeply but um i think you will enjoy covering him uh and i think blazers fans will enjoy watching him and i think he is the type of guy that you want as your hopeful face of the franchise obviously we know anything can happen and, and nothing is guaranteed in terms of that sort of thing. But I think if you're talking about the, the work ethic and the drive and the general like athletic ability, like he has that package. It's all about putting the tools together. Um, and he'll at least put the effort in to do that, whether it succeeds, that is the mystery of every NBA player. But you know, it's, it's, nice having a young guy that that's not the concern because it's not always the case. So I hope everybody kind of is able to enjoy that once there's clarity with everything else. And on that note, thanks for doing this, man. I'll talk to you soon. Later.